We turn now to uh, the book of Isaiah, chapter 8. We'll be reading verses 11 through 14. Not a very big passage. See here, particularly the Lord's command to us in whom we are to fear and honor as holy. Hear the word of the Lord from Isaiah chapter 8. For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, Do not call a conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. We now turn to the New Testament, Matthew chapter 10. You'll see the context as that prophecy is fulfilled. The context is Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 10. I'm going to be reading several verses outside of our passage that we're preaching from uh, so we can get the context. So I'll start with Matthew 10, verse 1. And he said to him, and he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. And now verse 5. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. And now verse 24 and following. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. What you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. And now chapter 11, verse 1. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Let us go to the Lord and ask for his blessing on the word. O Lord God, our Father, you've given us many things to ponder here in your word. Grant that meditations of our hearts now and the words of my mouth may be pleasing in your sight 
because you are our rock and our redeemer. Through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Well, I'm not sure I like that bit about numbering the hairs on our head. And until you count hairs throughout the head, some of us have tried to compensate. Make it easy on the Lord. Children, it's interesting if you pull a hair out of your head. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> I don't have enough to spare. But if I, you were to pull a hair out of your head and you look at it really close, would you see a number? Well, that's what the Lord says. He has them numbered. And this is a way for you to be assured that even things that are relatively trivial, God pays attention to when it comes to you. And that's the assurance we have in this passage, that the Lord pays attention to us, and he has marked us as his own, and he cares for us, even down to the little details of our lives. If a hair falls, he, he's aware of it. And it, it's not like he has forgotten us. He's unconcerned. He thinks that it's of no importance. He thinks everything about us is important. I don't know why, except but for his grace. His kindness, his fatherly care. This is who our Father is. And this is spoken to us by the Son of God himself who knows his Father far more intimately than we do. And our, our Lord in chapter 6 has told us this already. He's basically already assured us. He said in chapter 6, Don't be anxious for your life. Look at how God takes care of the birds of the air. He feeds them as well. You're of more value than that. Don't worry about your lives. You know, what you need to survive. The Lord will take care of you because he cares for you. This is God's providential care that now our Lord is reminding his disciples as they are being sent out. Now we're looking at this passage. I want to make sure it's clear here. We're looking at the passage beginning with verse 26 and ending with 33. I read other parts of this to uh, give us context for that. And in this passage, it actually kind of has a lot of stuff to it. Uh, and I found it a little bit difficult to summarize uh, exactly what unifies this passage until it dawned on me that really it's verses 32 and 33. That's, that, in my opinion, is the core of what our Lord is teaching us. And I'd like to make one point here. Verse 32, I read the English Standard Version, and it reads, So everyone who acknowledges me. This is a possible translation of this word, but another one is confesses me. Uh, I think our translators are probably avoiding confessing Christ because they think it should be used for confessing faith, uh, and they don't use confession of faith like we do. Uh, so when we have a confession of faith, and even a part of our service, a confession of faith, not everybody does that, so they don't understand it. But it's the same word. So the word here can properly be translated confession. 
And it's in that sense that we just did when we confessed the Apostles' Creed. That's what we're talking about, this confession, confession of Christ. Notice how the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed uh, has Christ as the center. God the Father Almighty, Trinitarian God, the Holy Spirit, Father and Spirit, certainly front and center as well. But there's a lot in there about the Son. And in part, what we're doing is what the Lord Jesus says here in 32. So everyone who confesses me before men. And don't, you know, don't overlook that little word me here. Here the Lord Jesus is saying, you must confess me. The Lord Jesus Christ must be front and center in your confession of faith. You trust in the Lord Jesus. And he's telling you that. You confess me. He could have said in general, confess God. Uh, this is what the Jews did in that Deuteronomy passage. That Deuteronomy passage we read earlier for the law, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. That's basically their confession of faith. Very simple. Uh, a Trinitarian God is one. There's only one true God. Uh, and this was on the lips of people of the Old Testament often when they were persecuted uh, by pagans who believed in many gods. Uh, and this is, this is uh, understandable for us as well. And we confess the same thing. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty. One God, Trinitarian God. It actually derives from that Deuteronomy 6 passage. Uh, and then it's expanded as Scripture expands, and God tells us more about himself, uh, particularly with the coming of the Son. So notice here, confession of Christ is front and center in our passage. That's the point I'll be making. And then we must be careful not to deny him before men. And by this, I don't think Jesus is talking about the denial that Peter made, for example, at the arrest of Jesus. He's talking about denying as uh, really a form of apostasy, giving up on Christ, renouncing him, and having no more to do with him. This is something that, it, that puts you in a very fearful state because then the Lord Jesus Christ says, I will deny you before my Father who is in heaven if you do that. But I think there's also another uh, thread running through our passage that you should note. Uh, and he says three times, do not fear. So in verse 26, he says, so have no fear of them. In verse 28, and do not fear those. And then in verse 31, fear not. So three times he says, don't be afraid, don't fear, don't fear. Don't live in fear is a way uh, for him to, to summarize what he's saying here. But then interestingly in verse 28, in something we're going to return to, he does say in the middle of verse 20, 28, but rather fear him. And that's very similar to what we saw in Isaiah. Do not fear what they fear. Don't be in dread what they dread, but rather honor the Lord as holy in your midst and fear the Lord. So now we come to the particulars of our passage with that, you know, with that general schema in mind. This is the instruction of the Lord to his disciples. If you want to think about this, 
This is really the church's marching orders. This is the foundation of laying the foundation for the church in this age, and we carry on this ministry that began with the 12 disciples. That's, that's really how you think of that. And you contribute to that. It is particularly focused on the ministry of the word, that's through the pastor and elders of the church, but you are supporting that, and you participate in that. You are a part of that great ministry. Um, there's a lot more to say about that, but that's, that's why I began by reading Jesus talking to the 12 disciples, and then at the end, when he was finished talking to the 12 disciples. That's the focus of what he's talking about. And, and because of that, this really is to us as a church. This is our mandate. This is like the center of why we exist as a church. This is what we are up to in the world. We confess the Lord Jesus Christ before the world. We do not shrink away from making that confession publicly in the world, despite any opposition we may face. Well, let's, let's talk about this denial. In verse 33a, the beginning of verse 33, for whoever denies me before men. See, this is, this is motivated by fear of men, fear of people, rather than fear of him. And part of Jesus' explanation of why you shouldn't do this is in verse 26. Have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will, that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Everything about them will be made known. All the evil that they may uh, do in their lives and all of those things that they are doing against you will be exposed. All of their works will be manifested. There will be a day of reckoning, a day of judgment upon the works of all these people. And in particular, he goes on in verse 28 to say, they really only have limited power. All they can do is kill you. Sounds kind of scary. Sounds like a lot of power to me. Until you compare it with the one who has the power not only to put you to death in the body, but in the soul forever and cast you into Gehenna, hell. The word here for hell in our text, verse 28, the end, rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell is Gehenna. This is the name of a ravine south of Jerusalem that was known for a dump that had pr pretty much a continual fire burning and smoke coming up out of it out of this area. This was a nasty-smelling, hot place you didn't want to go down to. There are certain canyons or ravines it's really hard to get down into anyway, but it was a very nasty place, and so typically in Jesus' day, people used that as an image of hell, and that's why it's properly translated cast into hell. It's this vivid portrait 
of hell. And this people who are the ones we're not to fear, verse 23, when they persecute you. So it's persecutors of you for the name of Jesus. This is not people who are just bad neighbors. They don't cut their lawn. Their dog comes into your lawn and makes a mess. This is not that kind of thing. This is somebody who persecutes you for the name of Christ. And this would include even those who uh, speak ill about you, who uh, slander you. This is what we get in verse 25. It's enough for the disciple to be like his teacher, servant like his master, if they called the master of the house Beelzebul. Notice that slandering uh, in the worst possible way. And these are people who are maligning you uh, because you are a follower of Christ. They think you're stupid. Uh, they think you are uh, pitiable because you must be self-deceived. Uh, and you know better because you have encountered the living God and you know the power of Christ who gives you hope in the midst of this world. He has given you life and life everlasting. You have before you an inheritance which is uh, un unchangeable. It will never fade or uh, die. And you will never fade and die in resurrection from the dead. That's what we confess today. I believe in the resurrection of the body. Why? Because our Lord Jesus was raised uh, from the body. We have proof of it, historical demonstration, that this is our heritage. And yet this maligning is not new. Psalm 37, a very interesting psalm because it actually has a line in it very similar to one of the Beatitudes of Christ in Matthew 5, the Beatitude of the meek inheriting the earth. The word meek there can also be rendered gentle. Uh, it's the word that Jesus uses of himself in a passage we're going to be encountering soon, Matthew 11, where he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls, because I am lowly and gentle of heart. That's the term we find here. The meek, the gentle, will inherit the earth in Matthew 5. Now hear this psalm. Psalm 37, verse 34. Wait for the Lord and keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. There you have that inheritance. You will look on those, on the wicked, when they are cut off. I've seen a wicked, ruthless man spreading himself like a green laurel tree, but he passed away. And behold, he was no more. Though I sought him, he could not be found. Mark the blameless and behold the upright, for there is a future for the man of peace. The transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. This is our hope. But brothers and sisters, these people who may slander you and oppose you, they may oppose your, your uh, progress in your job, in your life. They may uh, say things about you that causes others to look down upon you. Uh, 
Lord willing, we won't suffer physical persecution, but that happens in the world today. Christian brothers and sisters in other parts of the world are suffering physically for Christ. We should pray for them. We know that that is always a possibility for us. Jesus is saying that to his disciples. And here's what we know. All those persecutors are living on borrowed time. There will come a day. There will come a day of reckoning when their place will be no more. And that's what our Lord is saying to us. Don't fear those who can only kill the body. But instead, you profess me. And you persevere in that profession of me before men. This is your task as a church that I am building. And he promises to be with us and to sustain us in this profession of him. You know, brothers and sisters, part of why we have this profession of faith with the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed is for the sake of our children who are members here and they belong here. This is their confession of faith that they grow in. And so they grow up in this. They know that this is their identity and it, it works in their hearts to help preach the gospel to them so that they know in their heart of hearts what it is that we believe so that in the evil day, the word of God will uh, hold us up in the midst of the trials that may come our way. The Lord is present with his people. He's not he will never abandon us. You know, that's, that's a clear implication of what Jesus says here. If people speak against you because of Christ's sake, if you face any kind of opposition for the sake of Christ, it's not that God is mad at you. He's turned you over and forgotten you. He's abandoned you to his enemies. Jesus is saying the opposite. They persecuted me. This is part of your what you can expect in this world because of what Jesus says to Paul on the road to Damascus. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Because they're persecuting Christ again. And he's the one that they're opposing through you. And yet, body and soul, our Lord will sustain you because they are persecuting him. And then interestingly, verse 27, what I tell you in the dark, say in the light. What I tell you in the dark. Now this, this really gets into later material in Matthew, but it's quite clear our Lord Jesus has never abandoned his church. And if you want to see the summary of Matthew, you read the last five verses or so of the gospel. And it ends with him saying, but look, you know, I tell you to go out into all the world and to make disciples of all the nations. I tell you that, okay? That's what, that's what those last verses say. And at the end, he says, but look, I am with you even to the end of the age. And you see, that wasn't just those 11 disciples he's talking to. To the end of the age. Now he's talking to you and me and anybody who follows us. He's talking to all the people of the church who've preceded us and anybody who follows us if the Lord does not come. So he says, I will be with you to the end of the age. 
I will be with you. And then he provides for us. What I tell you in the dark, you announce it. I am with you. I will, I will uphold you. You, ha- you will have my word to sustain you. And that's what should be on your lips before the world. You are heralds of the living God. This is what the Lord says. And then he tells us to fear him who can cast body and soul into hell. Into hell. We're going to come back to that. But notice how in these central verses 32 and 33, your relation to Jesus has bearing on your eternal destiny. This is just Christianity. You know why we teach this now. Here it is. If you profess me before men, you make this good confession, I will confess you before my Father. He will stand up for you. He will intervene for you, and his salvation will be yours. He guarantees it. I will be there for you with my Father. And no one knows the Father like the Son, again, Matthew 11, and anyone whom the Son reveals the Father. That's what our Lord does as our mediator. And notice, my Father in heaven. I will profess your name before my Father in heaven. I will profess your name. This is a personal thing. Oh yeah, that whole host of people over there, Lord, all those nameless people, all those faithless people, faceless people over there, yeah, I'll, I'll take those. They're in my team, those other people, no. <laughs> this is not the way it is. Your name. You know, brothers and sisters, when the Lord Jesus Christ went to the cross, he had your name in mind. He had you in mind. You were on his mind. And he will profess your name when you come before him to his Father. No matter who you are, from the least to the greatest of you, your name on his lips is the greatest thing you have. It is our prized possession from our Savior. And that's what he promises here. Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, will profess your name before his Father. So, brothers and sisters, we've heard a lot about fear here, who not to fear, that we should fear God. Uh, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the book of Proverbs. But Jesus makes it a little more personal and memorable when he says, are not two sparrows sold for this little copper coin? This is a little copper coin that's not worth all that much. Uh, We could say a penny, and that's how it's translated here in verse 29. Two sparrows. Yeah, people ate sparrows back then. They got pretty hungry and would put them in a pie. But then he says, even the hairs on your head are numbered. And then he comes back to the sparrows and says, your father knows when they fall. Fear not. You're more value than many sparrows. Don't be afraid. You should fear God, but don't be afraid. It's quite an interesting, remarkable dynamic, isn't it? Fear the Lord, but don't be afraid. And you know why? When he says, when he says, Fear the one who has the power and authority 
to cast body and soul into Gehenna, he's talking about himself. The Lord Jesus Christ is talking about himself. What did you just confess in the Apostles' Creed at the end there? And he's coming again to judge the living and the dead. If that's a biblical statement, it says he's the one who has the authority to cast people, body and soul, into hell. Well, brothers and sisters, let me read to you from Matthew chapter 25. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who were blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. This is the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, coming in his glory at his arrival, and that's the final judgment. So if you were to fear anybody, you fear Jesus. But here's why this is not terror. It's the same one who went to the cross for you, that you may have life. That's whom we fear. The one who freely gives us eternal salvation, release from all fear, and only the love of God remains. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. 1 John 4, 18 and 19. We love because he first loved us. So here is our application. Love the Lord Jesus and fear him only in the midst of all the opposition you may face in this life. This is our great goal as members of the church of Jesus Christ and he promises to be with us and value us. We are precious in his sight. Even the hairs on your head, precious in the sight of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we love and fear him. Let us pray. We already confessed, O oh Lord, that we do not love you with all of our hearts. But here, here we can say, we can clearly see how lovable you are, how wonderful you are, how glorious and kind, full of compassion, gentle with us. And yet, you speak quite clearly that we have to persevere in our profession of you despite any opposition we may face. When the evil day comes, O oh Lord, help us to stand fast by the strength that you provide through Jesus Christ. We pray in his name with thanks. Amen.